So happy Mother's Day. Uh, Today we are uh, celebrating moms, and you would think I might preach a Mother's Day sermon. Sometimes I do that. But I really am in love with the series we're doing on Bible stories. I'm having a blast preaching it. We just did the baptism of Jesus, and the very next word in Matthew 4 is then. And scholars say that means immediately after his baptism, he went to his temptation. I didn't feel like we should put that off. I feel like we should probably talk about the baptism of Jesus. I would really, 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 three reallys, encourage you to open your Bibles to Matthew 4. There is a Bible app event for this. You can follow along that way if you would like to. But Matthew 4 is where we're going to be going to be reading 11 verses. We're not going to read them all at the start. We're going to read them through the morning. So you'll want to keep your Bible open in front of you. I want to tell you a little story about temptation, if I could. Um, a number of years ago, uh, we had um, a, a television that was not HD. It had something called a tube in it. How many remember TVs with tubes in them? Yeah, remember those well. And they were great. They were neat things, but they were a little bit blurry, particularly if you were a hockey fan. You know, it's like you could see where the guys were, but, oh, was that the puck that went by? I'm not really sure. And so finally, I saved my money. I actually, I went to a funeral director who happens to be a hockey fan, and I said, look, if you'll give me more funerals, I'll be able to afford a flat screen TV. And, and he did. He gave me more funerals for strangers, and, and I got this great flat screen TV. So now I'm ready to watch the Penguins, who, by the way, won last night. I got to watch the Penguins. They won in the playoffs last night. I got to watch the Penguins in HD. It was fantastic. And I can't remember where they came out of, but I think it was Fox Sports Pittsburgh at the time. So I have my nice HD television. I'm watching the Penguins play. I turn it on every now and then, and the network in Pittsburgh, the sports network, is not broadcasting in high definition. They're broadcasting in standard definition. Do you know what it's like to lay down seven or $800 for a TV, and they're sending you the signal in standard definition? This had been going on for some time, and I was getting more and more frustrated by it. Might be an HD this game, next game in standard definition. High definition next game, next game standard definition. It's Saturday, it's an important game. I carved out this time in my schedule to go ahead and watch the game, and I turn it on on Saturday, and it's in standard definition. I said, that's it. I'm calling. So I picked up the phone. I'm going to give them a piece of my mind, which I've been told is a dangerous thing to do but I'm going to go ahead and do it because I don't have a lot of mind left to give. So I'm going to do it. I dial the phone on my little track phone. That lets you know how long ago this was. I dial the phone number that I found on Yahoo because I don't even think there was Google then. And it's ringing. It's Saturday. I think to myself, who's going to answer on a Saturday? You know who's going to answer on a Saturday? Not the boss. He's home watching the Penguins in standard definition. Who's going to answer on Saturday? You know what? It's going to be low man on the totem pole. Because he doesn't want to work Saturday. It's Saturday. He doesn't want to be working. And I can't wait because I'm going to say, hey, I am so tired of watching. All right? I'm ready to give him peace of my mind, right? And I think, he doesn't control this. This is not his fault. Even if it was, this is not a good thing to do. What is wrong with you, Steve? Why in the world are you doing this? Hang up the phone. Don't do this. Hello, Fox Sports Pittsburgh. This is Marcy speaking. (laughs) Hi, Marcy. My name's Steve, and I just called to say thanks for putting the Penguins game on. She said, well, you're welcome. I said, have a a great day. She said, you too. I said, let's go, Pens. And I hung up the phone, and I sat back down. 
So a couple weeks later, I happened to be down in State College. I, I was in a, well, I can't think of what it's called. It's like Best Buy, but it was down by Michael's. Do you remember that tech store? I can't think of what that's called. I'm walking around in there. I have my track phone clipped to my belt like the nerd that I am, right? And it rings, and I pick it up. I look at it. It's a 412 area code. It's Pittsburgh. And I say, hello? She says, hi, this is Marcy. Did you call Fox Sports on Saturday? I said, yeah, I did. Could I please have your mailing address? Now, generally, I wouldn't recommend giving your mailing address to a complete stranger. But I gave her my mailing address. And three days later, a box came. And the box said, thanks for your call. It was really encouraging. And it had a penguin's hat in. It had a penguin's shirt in. It had penguin's keychain in it. It had all this penguin stuff that she just sent to me and gave it to me. And I felt, that's really cool. That's really cool. And I've told this story to different people. And there are generally two responses to this story. So one response goes like this. Wow, Pastor Steve, you really dodged the bullet by avoiding the temptation that was cooking in your mind. Good job. And the other response goes like this. Well, you said thanks for doing that, but inside you were really messed up, man, and you blew it. I want to say this without apology. Person number two does not understand temptation. They don't understand it. Because temptation, being tempted to do something, is not sin. Doing it is a sin. And by God's grace, I avoided doing it. I want to show you this from the temptations of Jesus. I'd like to walk you through these temptations that are in Scripture. And again, I hope your Bible's open to Matthew 4, or you have the Version Bible app open. And the first thing I want to say to you about temptations may catch you by surprise. In fact, if I heard someone say this, I'd say, what are you talking about? It's this sentence, temptation can be God-ordained. What? No, I don't think so. And the reason maybe you don't think so is because of James, chapter 1, verse 13. When James says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So, Pastor Steve, how in the world can your very first point of this sermon be, temptation can be God-ordained? I say that because it was in this case. In verse 1, we're going to read all 11 verses here. In verse 1, if you look at it, it says, then Jesus was led by who? The Holy Spirit. The Spirit into the wilderness. So here it is. Jesus has just been baptized. He gets up out of the water. The Spirit of God descends upon him like a dove, and the Father says, this is my Son whom I love, right? And then Jesus goes out into the wilderness. Why would he do that? Because the Spirit led him out in the wilderness. Why? Read the rest of verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Huh. So that was the Spirit of God's idea to take him out there. What's your take on that? Is James wrong? No, obviously not. It's the Bible. Here's kind of how I put that together in my mind. I believe what James is telling us is that God would never put temptation in front of you. So don't try to blame him when you fall to temptation. Because God is not the kind of God who is dangling forbidden fruit in front of your eyes trying to lead you into a place you should never be. He is not singing the siren song so that you crash against the rocks at the island. He is not that kind of God. But God does allow you to go through things where temptation can be found. He does. 
And just knowing that he does that lets you know that there's no temptation that comes to you that catches God off guard. Like, "Uh uh-oh, didn't see that coming. I'm going to have to help Steve here. Obviously not. And additionally, knowing that he does that should cause you to realize that it would seem that we do have the ability to resist temptation because God would never set us up to fail. Sometimes temptation is actually ordained by God. Here's a second observation about this. Temptation is not sin. Old Bob Calderwood, he was an elder in my first church. He has passed away. (coughs) Bob was a great guy. He had this thing. He used to be pretty fond of saying it, and I'm fond of saying it now. You've probably heard me say it. He would say this. And again, this guy is like between 70 and 80 years of age. He would say this. I'm married to Lena, and I am committed to her and her alone. But I want to tell you, when a pretty girl walks by, a girl that would be forbidden fruit for me, my brain says, she is pretty. And that's not sin. That's not sin. When she enters your field of vision, gentlemen, Bob would say, the first glance is something you have no control over. It's that second glance, that's where your intentionality comes in. And that's the sin. And then Mr. Calderwood would pause, and he would smile, and he would say, so guys, make that first glance a good long one. (laughs) And then he'd laugh, because of course, Bob was joking. He knew that was absurd. He knew that a long, lustful first glance is no more righteous than a second look, but he was right in this. The temptation is not sin. Jesus himself was without sin, yet he was tempted. And just because you're tempted, that's not sin. It is really what you do with that temptation that can be sin or not be sin. Temptations of Jesus. They kind of remind us that, generally speaking, even the desires are not sin. I mean, we know there are sinful desires, uh, but the sin is really caving to that desire. Many desires that you have are pure and good in and of themselves, but they can be tied to temptation. For an example, look at the second verse. It says, after fasting, 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That sentence always tempts me to get sarcastic about the Bible and say, after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry, you don't say. (laughs) I mean, can you state the obvious, right? But that hunger, that thirst, that wasn't sin. What he would do with that desire, what you may do with that desire, could be sinful or not sinful. Because it's how we manage and respond to our desires that can be categorized as right or wrong. I really want to help you see the temptations of Jesus for what they are, And so I kind of want to look at them individually as we continue through this passage. The first temptation is really satisfying physical desire without regard for spiritual health. Look at verse 3, the very next verse. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, that is an appeal to a natural desire, hunger. And it's not wrong to be hungry. It's not wrong to want food. The problem for Jesus might be a matter of a misuse of power. And it's a misuse of power that would come from maybe some wrong priorities. 
I say that because of how Jesus replies to this. The devil is saying, hey, you have this power. I know you have this power. Use it for your own self. And in verse 4, the scripture says, Jesus answered, and these three words, he's going to say them more than once. Jesus answered, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. I kind of hear Jesus saying, my nearness to the Father that would give me this ability, my nearness to the Father isn't to provide for something as trivial as bread as I'm in the midst of this fast or even coming toward the end of this fast. My nearness to the Father is to provide life that comes from the mouth of God. Man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Satisfying a physical desire without regard for spiritual health, that's the temptation that would become a sin. The second temptation really involves taking a shortcut that doesn't actually fulfill what you want it to fulfill, namely the call. In this second temptation, if the tempter, if the devil can get Jesus to do this, then Jesus will appear to be victorious. Yes, you are the Messiah. But he will not come, I'm sorry, but he will not do what he has come to do. Look at verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city, that would be Jerusalem, and had him stand at the highest point on the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. There's just a couple things at play here that you may or may not see. First thing you see is that the devil has kind of upped his, upped his game a little bit. Now he's using scripture because he kind of wants to confuse Jesus about what's right and what's wrong here. He's hoping to do that. And beyond that, as he uses Psalm 91, 11, and 12, he is also making reference to something with which you and I aren't naturally familiar. There's this body of literature in Judaism, in the Jewish faith, called the Midrash. And the Midrash is really a collection of Jewish sermons And in that collection, there is mention of a traditional belief that when Messiah comes, he will stand on top of the roof of the temple. Huh. Who knew that? The devil. Who else knew that? Jesus. Who else knew that? Probably a lot of the Jews knew that. And so this isn't kind of a crazy idea that Satan has It kind of makes sense. It sounds kind of like a good idea, but it's cheating. You remember uh, when USB drives were very, very expensive. I can remember when they were, and I can remember this actually happened to me. I bought a USB drive on eBay or on Amazon, and inside my USB drive, there were no guts. (laughs) What was there was the case and the little piece that plugged into my PC, but on the inside, there was no electronics. There There was nothing there. And, and it served a purpose. It got me to pay the money. It got people to pay the money, but it didn't serve the right purpose because it failed to do the job of storing the data for the user. It looks like a storage device, but it's not. And if Jesus jumps, he will look like the Messiah, but he won't be what the Messiah is to be. 
And people will buy in. If Jesus does this thing that Satan is trying to tempt him to do, people will buy in. They'll receive him as a Messiah. But listen to this. It's on the screen. At this point in history, Jesus isn't coming to be received as a Messiah. He is coming to die for our sins. And so this will be a shortcut that doesn't really fulfill his call. It will be fraud. And Jesus replies in verse 7. He couldn't be more clear. Jesus answered, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. How about this third temptation? The third temptation is really a matter of making a swap. It's kind of like cheating the system. Look at verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Now, there's a lot of talk. Maybe I can remember it from Sunday school all the way through school and even recently reading it online and and in some commentaries I had. Did Satan really have these kingdoms? Was this a a real boast? Like, I have the kingdoms. You can have them. Or is he just bluffing? Like, I don't have these. And and you can kind of go either way on that because the devil does refer to Satan. I'm sorry. Let me say that again. The Bible does refer to Satan as kind of the ruler of this dark age. But on the other hand, the Bible also says the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. So I'm, you know, I don't know. I don't really think that's the question. I don't think the question is, well, did Satan have these? Can he give them away? I think the question is, what is Jesus going to do with this temptation? What is he going to do? And of course, (laughs) Jesus refuses to let expedience rule the day. Do you understand that sentence on the screen? He refuses to let expedience rule the day. He didn't live by what was convenient or what was comfortable or what was profitable for the moment or what was satisfying. He didn't live by those things. He says in verse 10, Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written. Did you notice that's the third time he's used that phrase? It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I kind of want to drill down and kind of zoom in on Jesus' responses to temptation here. Because I I think these responses can be helpful to me and to you. They can give us some much needed guidance. Because I don't know about you, I still face temptation all the time. You know, it's kind of a weird thing. I can't tell you as a pastor, people tell me about their life, you know? And, and, I, and I can't tell you how many times through the years, men have come to me that are older men. And they've come to me and they've talked to me about a struggle they're having with temptation. And in the midst of that, they'll say, man, I would have thought by now this wouldn't be bothering me anymore. Temptation tends to be relentless. And it's probably not something you're going to grow out of. It needs to be something, though, that you learn how to manage that you learn how to respond to. And I think Jesus actually gives us some guidance, perhaps intentionally, perhaps not, on how to manage temptation. The first thing I I want you to see here is that Jesus responds to temptation out of his relationship with the Father. He has a close relationship with God the Father. And he has just spent 40 days and 40 nights in cultivating that relationship, alone time with God. Hmm. Alone time with God. Jesus responds to temptation, and it was big temptation out of his relationship with the Father. I would dare say that none of us have experienced the kind of thing Jesus experienced here. I would dare say that none of us have ever actually been tempted by the devil. (laughs) And here's the reason I say that. Because God is omnipresent. The devil is not. So God is everywhere all at the same time. God is in a steel mill in the Ukraine. 
And God is on the Arabian Peninsula with my grandkids. And God is right here with you and me. And God is in that hospital room where that little baby is being born. He is all those places at one time because he's God. But Satan is not God. He is not his equal. He is not his exact opposite. He is a created being. He is an angel who fell. He was literally kicked out of heaven (laughs) and cast down to the earth. And angels are not omnipresent. Daniel is praying for an answer to prayer, and it takes a long time for it to get there. And when the angel finally brings it, he said, I'd have been here sooner, but I was held up by the prince of Persia. Angels can't be the same place all at the same time, and Satan cannot be the same place all at the same time. So the chances of you and me ever encountering him are slim to none. He's got bigger fish to fry, no offense, than you and me. I have no doubt, however, in my mind that we deal with his demons, his underlings, more frequently than we may know, but not the devil. But Jesus? Jesus is going toe-to-toe with the chief of demons. How does he do that? Well, there's a lot of things you can say in answer to that question, but one of them is he's just spent 40 days and 40 nights in close fellowship in his relationship with the Father. And what I want you to take from this first point is that walking closely with the Father gives you strength that you would not otherwise have, and that strength can help you say no to temptation. So number one, respond to temptation out of relationship with your Father. Second, I see that Jesus responds without compromise. I'll be honest with you. Sometimes temptation comes along to me, and I'm like, that sounds pretty cool. Maybe I should do that. Yeah, I I don't know. Man, maybe I shouldn't. I think Laurel might be mad if I spend that money that way. Laurel would not be mad. She's not a mad kind of person. I think that just wouldn't be fair if I did that. No, but man, it'd be pretty cool to do that. I kind of like to do that. I roll that around in my head sometimes. Jesus didn't. He didn't. There's no indication in each of these temptations that he ever gave it a second thought. Every time he replied, no way, with immediate resistance. (laughs) Third, Jesus' response to temptation. Almost every sermon you hear on the temptations of Jesus says that he responds with scripture, and rightly so, he does. Turn these stones into bread. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Throw yourself down from the high point, from the peak of the temple. That's a good idea. It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Bow down and worship me and I'll give you all this stuff away from me, Satan, for it is written. He's quoting Deuteronomy to the devil. And he's fighting the devil off. He's fighting temptation off with the word of God. And that is why Jesus' response to temptation was so effective. Verse 11 says, the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. It just makes me think of what James says when he says in 4.7, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Temptation is resistible. What temptations knock at your door? I mean, what temptations knock at your door? sometimes it helps to kind of see them in categories. And historically, we've kind of had these three categories we've talked about these temptations in. They may sound familiar to them. The first is the lust of the flesh. And that is physical desires that are improperly prioritized. Jesus' first temptation was 
something that would fit in that category. The tempter came to him and said, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Why would that be a temptation? Because his flesh was doggone hungry. It had been 40 days and 40 nights. There was nothing wrong with that hunger. But the temptation was in how do you deal with that hunger in a way that glorifies God? How do you do that? The lust of the flesh. Is that a temptation that you struggle against? And how are you doing at that? Or the second category, the lust of the eyes, a desire to have something that doesn't belong to you. Uh, Jesus' third uh, temptation in Matthew would fall into that category when the devil takes him to the high mountain and says, look, look, look at these kingdoms. Look at them. I'll give those to you if you bow down and worship me. Let me just say this. It would be right for Jesus to have that. I mean, he has every right to have that. So the desire wouldn't be evil, but the temptation to respond in a way that didn't honor God. And I got to tell you, bowing down to the enemy does not honor God. That would have been flat disobedience. Is that an issue for you? Wanting something that you know doggone well doesn't belong to you? Failing to honor God in that? Struggling in that area? The third category, we call it the pride of life. Making satisfaction of your desire the ultimate objective, your ultimate. Look at me. Hey, I deserve this. Check. Do you know what I've done? Do you know what I've done? I got to tell you, this is so troubling to me. <laughs> um, several years ago, there was a Christian leader who engaged in sexual promiscuity. That's how we would see it. And when he was busted, <laughs> the response would have been, this isn't exactly how this panned out because I want to keep it, I want to keep it anonymous. So I'm, I'm kind of adjusting the story okay, to protect the guilty, okay? When he was busted, his response was, you know, I'm under so much stress and I do so much for the kingdom. I do so much for God. Don't I deserve this little guilty pleasure? Don't I deserve this little guilty pleasure? Look again at verse six. If you're the son of God, throw yourself down. I mean, after all, you're a son of God. You're gonna be carrying a lot of weight. You really don't deny yourself of this because he's going to give his angels charge concerning you and, and, and they're, they're going to keep you. You're going to land like a cat on his feet, man. Take the guilty pleasure. You deserve it. Hmm. Now, it's, kind of, it's good to have a, a, a healthy sense of self-esteem. But when it becomes pride that abuses the grace of God, that's not just temptation. That's sin. And when it becomes a sense that you're better than the next guy, yeah, well, he'd have trouble with this, but I'm better. That has moved from temptation to sin. And when it becomes a sense that you're deserving of something that others are not, because of who you are. Is pride, pride of life, an area in which you struggle? I want to say to you, regardless of how you might struggle against temptation, I would encourage you to respond as Jesus did. And, and first, I would just tell you to walk closely with God. Walk closely with him now so that when the temptation comes, <coughs> you're ready. You're prepared. You can face it because you've spent time with the Father. One of my favorite Seinfeld moments <laughs> is when they're talking about the New York Marathon, right? The city marathon. And Kramer, that hipster doofus, you know, <laughs> Kramer says, ah, oh, 
the marathon. I keep forgetting to register for that. You know, like you could register for it on Monday and be ready to run by the weekend, right? (laughs) Wow, you can't do that, Kramer. You can't do that. In Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 5, God asks this question. He says, if you have raced with men on foot and they've worn you out, how will you compete with horses? If you stumble in safe country, how will you manage in the thickets of the Jordan? The point of God there isn't, hey, go get some exercise. The point of God is to prepare yourself spiritually for the temptation and the battles that are in front of you. And the way that you do that is by walking closely with the Father all the time. All the time. All the time. Jesus spent 40 days and 40 nights with his father before the temptation. We would be wise to take heed of that and walk closely with him as well. If you want to win the war against temptation, spend time with God consistently. Here's the third one. I'm sorry, this is the second one. Yeah, second one. You can respond well to temptation when you allow yourself no compromise, none at all. Remember, Jesus didn't contemplate these temptations. There's no evidence that he did. There's just a a clear head and a pure heart that responds, no, no. I've often thought, and I thought of this when I was a young man, even when I was a teenager, I would think of this from time to time, of the temptation. And you may remember we did a Bible story on Joseph. Uh, He was the son of uh, Jacob who was taken down to Egypt. When he was in captivity as a slave there in Egypt, he found himself working in the home of a gentleman named Potiphar, Joseph was evidently a lot like your pastor. He was a good-looking man. What are you laughing at? And Potiphar's wife took note of that, and, uh, and he faced temptation on that. Temptation on, to the point where it appears that Potiphar's wife was trying to undress him to take off his clothes. <laughs> and, and, and Joseph just ran out. I often said that to myself when I was younger, and I still think of it today. How many of us maybe would have been just mauling over that kind of event in our minds? Hey, wouldn't it be cool if when Potiphar's out, I know she has a crush on me. I wonder what that would be like. And instead of thinking in advance of how we're going to avoid the temptation, we're kind of fantasizing about how we're going to enjoy the temptation. And I got to tell you, if that would be your mindset, then you are doomed to lose to temptation. Doomed to lose. If you want, if you want to win the war against temptation, allow yourself no compromise and choose that path. Here's the third one. Develop a working knowledge of the word of God, of scripture. I say that because Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy to the devil. It is written. It is written. It is written. He says it every time, and Jesus wins. (laughs) The word of God. Every word proceeds from the mouth of God. This is what we live on. This is what feeds us. You know, the Bible refers to itself. It calls the word of God the sword of the spirit. Why? Because when you use it, you can overcome the evil one. The enemy of your soul, he would love to cloud your thinking and confuse your mind and draw you into temptation. And perhaps the tool that you have that most effectively clears those clouds away is a working knowledge of the Bible. And you can get it. A gentleman in the first service today said to me, you know what, I want, to, I want more of the Bible, but I hate reading. 
is there any way it could be read to me? And I said, yeah, your YouVersion Bible app will read it to you. It reads it to me all the time. I said, I can install that on your smartphone if you'd like. He said, I don't know my password. (laughs) So I sent him a text. Here's where it is. Who knows your password? My daughter. Have her install it on there for you. We have such ready access to the Bible. It's almost shameful when we compare ourselves to previous generations. The access you and I have to the word of God. And it is helpful in avoiding temptation. Help Jesus. I'll give you one. I don't know if you want to jot this down or not, but here's a Bible verse that I have used for years regarding dealing with temptation. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. I memorized it, but I'm not going to give it a shot because the NIV changed the phrase. Let me try it. You're looking on the screen, okay? Here's what I got. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can, can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way of escape so you may endure it. Was that pretty close to what's on the screen? Yeah. Why did you memorize that passage of scripture, Pastor Steve? Because I had to for the Navigator 2-7. Not exactly. I memorized that passage of scripture when I was a kid. Because my youth group leader said, it'd be a good idea for you to know this passage of scripture. And I never gave him the satisfaction of saying, I memorized that, but I looked at it a lot and I found it helpful. Know the scripture, use the scripture. Dealing with temptation. Walk closely with the father, allow yourself no compromise. Have a working knowledge of the scripture. And, and I've gotta say this, this is such an important, such an important concept that Dealing with temptation is almost always a matter of trust. Almost always when you fail and cave to, tr- to, to temptation, it's because you didn't trust God the way you, you would have wanted to or he would have wanted you to. Think about it. You know, we say something like, I kind of need to turn those stones into bread because I've been 40 days without any food. What am I going to do without food? I'm going to have to do this. I know I shouldn't, but I'm going to have to do this. And the word of God says, don't worry, saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Your heavenly father takes care of these things. He looks at the sparrow and takes care of him. Don't you think he's going to take care of you? What is Jesus saying there? Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. Overcoming temptation. It's often a matter of trust. We say, I don't know. It seems like a really long spiritual journey that's ahead of me. (sighs) Am I going to be able to fix things up with this person I'm married with, or should I just cut it short? Am I going to be able to deal with this job situation I have, or should I just get out? Am I going to be able to deal with with this relationship thing? I I don't know. Maybe, Maybe I should just, I need a shortcut. I know that I shouldn't take the shortcut, but God is going to take care of me anyway, right? I mean, he'll, he'll catch me if I fall anyway. I'm going to take the shortcut. And you hear the word of Jesus. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. What's he saying? Trust me. Follow me. The way may be difficult. It may be long. But you can trust me. Overcoming temptation. It's often a matter of trust. We say, man, following God is really hard. 
It is hard to be a Christian. It's not for sissies, that's for sure. And I feel like kind of a, I'm kind of a sissy. I'm actually just kind of tired of it. I'm kind of tired of the other guys. They steal stuff, and, and that's why they can do what they do. And I, I'm at work, I'm really careful not to do that. And it stinks. I'm tired of that guy because he lied. He lied about me, and I didn't get what he got. He got my promotion. It stinks. I'm really tired of following God. I think I'm going to just, I'm done. I'm going to walk away. And you hear the voice of Jesus saying, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And when he's saying that, he's saying, trust me, trust me, trust me, stay with me. Overcoming temptation is often a matter of trusting God. And he is trustworthy. He proves himself trustworthy again and again. Here's another verse to memorize. I tried quoting this verse in the early service. I tried like four times. I blew it every time. Let me try it again. It's Romans 8, 32. It says, He who did not spare his own son. You know who that is, right? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? You get the point? He's trustworthy. And as you trust him, the victory that has overcome the world becomes your own. I want to pray that you and I would be men and women who face temptation well because we will live a life of looking at it. If you're comfortable doing so, let's stand together and we'll pray. Let's pray. Father, we unite our hearts together with a sense of thankfulness for Jesus' great love for us and your great love for us. That you, who did not spare your own son, but gave him up for us all, how will you not also along with him graciously give us, give us all things? And you'll give us that which we need to live lives that bring honor to your name, that are satisfactory to us and pleasing to us and representative of your character. That's what we want. And temptation would draw us away from that. Temptation would would tend to make us want to give up on that. I pray that we would be men and women who would follow Jesus' example. Men and women who would walk closely with you, God, very closely with you. Men and women who would give no compromise and give the enemy no foothold. That We would be men and women who would bow our knee only to you. This is a prayer of our heart. We trust you to make it so because of Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.